Thank you so much, Hayden. We're going to invite um, Jane O'Sullivan to come up and speak about um, population, which is always a very interesting and often contentious issue. Over to you, Jane. Okay, thank you very much. And thanks, Hayden, for a good um, introduction to what I want to talk about. I don't think I need to explain to, um, to this audience that population growth is the multiplier of all our impacts and also the diluter of all our efforts to address them. Um, I think my main message is that population growth needs its own focus. It's not going to automatically be fixed by having a more sharing society necessarily or by a, a more equal society or a renewable energy transition. It does need its own focus and it needs champions who might be also passionately work, working in another area, but it doesn't need to be left to one tiny little corner of an interest group to deal with population growth, because we are all people. It is all, it's our collective decisions that um, control the population of the world. So the good news is that stabilising our population or even a declining population won't crash the economy. It won't create um, an economic Armageddon where people are desperately unable to meet their needs. Um, it will actually make us much better off. Economists love to tell us how Japan is a basket case. You know, it's just on a road to disaster because there aren't enough births and they don't have immigration and it's going backwards. But in fact, its um, GDP per capita has been doing better than most other places. And it's got much lower um, unemployment and much better um, services and welfare systems than Australia, for instance. Secondly, we have the means. And without coercive measures, without um, being draconian on anyone, anti-family, we, we should be aiming for every child a wanted child and a well-supported child. Um, and every parent a willing and responsible parent. Not so long ago, this was a fairly unconventional position to have. Um, people like Martin Luther King, for instance, I don't think anybody has accused him of being um, xenophobic or anti-poor, um, which is the, the sorts of comebacks that people get today when they talk about addressing population growth. The third really big news is that there aren't trade-offs. Everything we spend on re reducing population growth saves far more in the direct savings to the health system, let alone all the money and resources that we don't have to spend on building unnecessary stuff and bulldozing natural ecosystems to make room for more houses and crops. So giving people the freedom to avoid pregnancy when they don't want it or aren't ready for it is the cheapest way to avoid greenhouse gas emissions, for instance, even when the avoided births are in very poor countries with very low per capita emissions. The same money simultaneously saves lives of women and children, creates more water security, more food security, saves species from extinction, reduces deforestation and soil degradation, um, improves the employment prospects for a lot of people and reduces the tensions and conflict. So 
on top of that, we get this dividend of a saving in actual money that we can spend on renewable energy or on better welfare systems. What's not to love about this scenario? Let's not forget that in a developed society, every child that we have has a lifetime of impacts on the planet, even if they're being as environmentally um, well-behaved as is possible to be. And this is a recent study uh, written up in The Guardian across a number of OECD countries looking at the amount of emissions that could actually be avoided by taking the advice of um, government agencies and educational materials and things, compared with the amount of emissions that could be avoided by doing the things they don't mention, like having one child fewer. And having one child fewer could avoid far more than, for instance, not having a car. The hard news is that we have to limit population of this planet. We must orchestrate an end to population growth. The sixth great extinction of species has been talked about at some length already, that we're running at 100 to 1,000 times the rate of extinctions that has been existing um, in earlier millennia. And also to avoid the human suffering of famines, um, conflict and migrations. These are things that are not primarily caused by per capita consumption in rich countries. These things are directly linked to population pressure um, and really can't be avoided without it. But unfortunately, um, international efforts to address population growth have been seriously undermined in the past 30 years and most of the pushback can be traced to the Vatican but they've recruited a lot of unwitting allies to the cause. And because of a campaign of misinformation, most people believe that there's no need to address population because of a number of myths. And firstly, they believe that it's already stabilising by itself as a result of development, which is a global trend that will eventually um, reach all of the least developed countries. So this is often labelled demographic transition theory. It can be described under the, the um, saying that development is the best contraception. Or alternatively, they might say that the most effective way of reducing population growth is to reduce poverty or to educate girls or to reduce infant mortality rates, which are great things to do, and we would be doing them anyway. So what they're really saying is that the best way to address population growth is not to address population growth. And that family planning programs are and were always unnecessary, ineffective and inappropriate. And the third thing that a lot of people believe is that population growth is good for the economy. It's not only good for the economy, it's essential for the economy. You know, without it, we will be all getting poorer rapidly. Um, it's necessary to counter the, the calamity of demographic ageing and that resource constraints are just a technical challenge. We will invent a substitute for anything that falls into short supply. Um, these are myths which I propose to challenge. So firstly, is the population growth already stopping by itself? And this is the historical trajectory. Um, and you can see that it's not 
actually curving down yet. It's been going at a, a roughly linear path for the last four decades. So in 1968, we did have the highest um, population growth rate ever at 2.1% per annum. In that year, we added 73 million people. On most recent figures, the population growth has come down to 1.1%. So everybody's saying, yes, but the population growth halved. We don't have a problem, it's slowing down. But in that year, we added, on some estimates, about 83 million people, i.e. we're adding more than we did at the peak population growth rate. So the rate has halved because the total population has doubled, not because we're adding fewer. So population growth can only end when the number that we're adding each year diminishes to zero. So we must have a diminishing trend to be heading in the right direction. Um, these are the UN's projections, and the blue line is the median projection which the UN regards as the, um, their best guess. And what almost nobody mentions is that recently every revision of the UN's projection pushes the estimates up. They've been consistently underestimating the growth that we actually have. And in the last decade, it's gone up by about 2 billion people in terms of the expectation for planet Earth's population in the year 2100. Um, we need to remember that these projections take no account whatever of resource constraints. So if we can't feed those people, they won't be here. We need to be thinking about what else would happen. The only other thing that can happen if we don't reduce births enough is that the number of deaths increase. And for population growth to taper off due to more deaths rather than fewer births would require an additional 100 million extra premature, birth, premature deaths per year, every year, for decades. By way of comparison, the Ebola epidemic killed about 11,000, and the AIDS epidemic has killed about 40 million in its entire history. 100 million per year would be a calamitous event which none of us would um, fail to feel the repercussions of. So we can see what's been happening in more detail by the number of people added per year. And through the 1990s, it was coming down on the back of family planning programs in the um, previous two decades. But around 2000, it started um, coming up again. And the UN's projection, the blue line, assumes that it will resume its downward trend because all high fertility countries will have a falling fertility. The black dots here are the recent estimates on an annual basis made by the Population Reference Bureau of what the actual increase in population of the world is. So we are not tracking on the UN's model. We're overshooting it. The good news is that family planning programs actually work. Um, of the score of countries that have actually implemented voluntary family planning programs in, in the past, um, these are just a selection which started at a range of different times so we could see uh, the pattern of very steep declines in fertility over 
the period in which they implemented the programs. The second, um, oh, well, firstly, what do I mean by family planning? And what it is is any combination of non-coercive measures that allows women and couples to achieve the timing, spacing, and number of children they want, and to inform that choice. So it's not enough just to supply contraceptions. There is a need for a conversation about the benefits of small families on a child spacing. Um, and that is what has been lost from the political will um, through lobbying through the United Nations to silence the population agenda. Uh, the politically correct focus now is that, yes, of course, women should have access to contraception, but it's nobody's business to talk about how many children they want to have, and um, we need to frame that around a women's health agenda. And I want to stress that this is a very commendable goal, but it has been a disaster for women's reproductive health and rights. Um, it was the most neglected of, amongst the goals in the Millennium Development Goals. It's very muted still under the Sustainable Development Goals, and there's no acknowledgement that meeting those um, rights to contraception underpin a whole range of other goals um, for sustainable development. So since that rhetoric has been put in place, unfortunately, before, family planning was on the agenda because leaders of developing countries thought it was important for their economy. Now, they are so disinterested in women's health and rights that it simply doesn't make the budget. Good news number two is that Reducing the population growth boosts economic development. And um, I want to show you a range of evidence that I've put together because I really went looking for justification for the, um, the statements that I was getting about we just need to promote development and educate girls. So this chart is an example of a family planning country, the solid line, which is Thailand, and the dotted line, which is a non-family planning country, Philippines. Um, and seeing that on the left, the fertility came down very rapidly when Thailand introduced their family planning program. At that time, in the middle, Thailand was poorer than the Philippines and had far lower levels of education. Thailand only started to overtake the Philippines after their fertility had come down. On the right-hand side, the um, average family size is plotted against GDP per capita. And um, just as a disclaimer, I'm going to use GDP per capita in these charts, even though I have a lot of problems with GDP. But it is, in fact, the um, most um, universally available statistic, and it isn't a terrible surrogate for people's ability to meet their needs and wants in this context. What we see here, um, if development was the best contraception, we would expect to see a convex curve where um, GDP per capita increased a bit until it was high enough for fertility to come down. What we see is a steeply concave curve where fertility fell first and then GDP per capita went ahead. And whether they did family planning or not, the pattern is the same. The family planning program just allowed them to move faster towards development. 
So I repeated that in a number of countries, and we don't need to go into those, except to note that the pattern is the same in different world regions. I just wanted to note also in the bottom corner that China's fertility dropped under a voluntary program, not under the one-child policy. The one-child policy came in late in that piece. So coercion is not necessary and is not um, even effective. When we group all countries together, we see this pattern played out dramatically, that the ones that reduce fertility fast have massively more economic development. The ones that have retained high fertility have no economic development. The development industry has been telling us for decades that population growth is not an issue for development. We'll just get on with development and population growth will sort itself out later. This is not what's coming up in the data. When we plot them together um, against each other, they're all following the same path. The rate at which they can get to higher economic development is governed by the rate at which they reduce fertility. Um, that's good news because we know what to do <laughs> and we have the means to do it. It's bad news that we are choosing not to do it, even though it costs nothing. And just to look at that data again, the argument is that um, the rate at which fertility falls depends on, on wealth. This chart says that that's not the case at all. It, um, there's no relationship. Whereas if we flip that relationship and say, well, does the enrichment of a country depend on its fertility rate? It's an extremely dramatic effect. If fertility is above four, the country's not going anywhere. Even very low fertility, which a lot of people are saying is bad for the economy, and this group includes countries that are actually have a shrinking population, they're doing the best, even so. Good news number three is that it's still technically possible to peak the human population under 10 billion, and that would have massive benefits for addressing climate change, for preventing famines and um, conflict and a range of good things. The problem is that every year we fail to get the message and act adds about 100 million to the peak population that we can achieve. So I just wanted to finish by saying that those economic pressures that work on developing countries with high fertility are the same economic pressures that, that work in a country like Australia with high immigration. And Australia is sitting um, in this bracket with 1.5 to 2% per annum population growth and is telling us every day that it is an economic disaster if we move back to a lower population growth. The global data says that this is a big fat lie. And also that demographic ageing has not limited the workforce anywhere. It has only reduced unemployment. So we've got a lot of things to look forward to in a shrinking and ageing population. Thank you very much. <laughs>